I want you to turn in your Bibles to to Ephesians chapter 4. Just going to read a verse there. We're going to be spending more time in Ephesians 2. You're going to see why in just a moment. You know, I loved to play hide-and-seek when I was a kid. And I, when I was a kid, I was so scrawny, and I, it's not that I was short, but I was, my, mom, my mama would say, Michael, if you don't drink your milk, you're going to just dry up and blow away one day. So I made sure I drank plenty of milk, and to this day, I drink a glass of milk every day. <laughs> Go figure. But I love to play hide-and-seek. Now, you know where we played hide-and-seek? We played hide-and-seek in our basement. So that tells you right in name. I'm right, right away, I'm not a Florida boy. I'm from up north in Wilmington, Delaware, and they actually have basements up there, believe it or not. But in our basement, there would be one section that we called the rec room, and that is not spelled W-R-E-C-K, if you were wondering, though it looked that way at times. It was the recreation room. That's where we had our pool table and ping pong table, and that's where I learned to play ping pong, if you were ever wondering. Um, in the next room, separated by a, a wall, there was our furnace. Now, the furnace, of course, contained, yeah, the furnace. And we actually burned oil, so there's a big oil tank, there's a freezer, there's the washer and dryer and a sink, and and various, and and, uh, honestly, a lot of boxes down there, too. I won't get into that. But what an amazing place to hide. And as a little kid, I could hide almost anywhere. And there was a really amazing place in the rec room, R-E-C room, there was a closet, and it was under the stairs, and I could get so curled up and tiny in there, it was next to impossible for my brothers to find me. However, here's the trick, though. You had to turn the lights off, so it was completely dark, and you would have to have a flashlight. Now, this the flashlight you could use not to find the string in the uh, in the in the furnace room to turn on the light. You couldn't, couldn't turn any lights on. It was all dark with a flashlight. My brother, who's just younger than... I, there were a lot of brothers I had. One, one of my brothers, who's younger than me, regularly made the mistake and suffered the consequences for it. But when he walked into that closet where I would generally be hiding, he couldn't find me, and so he would turn the light on. That was a big mistake because I always beat him up. That just was not fair. That was, see, that was cheating. That was cheating. And so he would turn the light on, just like I'm doing right now. And, hmm. You know, sometimes, though, our, our flashlights didn't work. You were in big trouble then. You still couldn't turn the lights, the lights on. And we learned, as kids, how to fix flashlights really well. Today, I'm going to tell you about how to, how, what, what, we're going to look at, in essence, the flashlight in our life. But to do that, we're going to have to look at the parts of it. Because in this world, God has called us to be the salt of the earth and the what of the world? Light of the world. Now, I'm going to focus on that idea of light. But I'm going to, I'm going to now draw a connection between light and life. And, and, and this is so key. Church, this is the foundation of the gospel. And I'm just going to tell you right now that many people, as a matter of fact, the vast majority of the people in the world, when they turn their flashlight on, 
And when I did that, you probably looked at me and said, oh, Mike, you probably brought the wrong flashlight, right? Anybody. Mike's flashlight is broke. But you see, this one right here, it works just fine. But I'm looking around the room, and I can't tell. Can you turn the lights off for me? Let me let's, I just want to make sure this is working, right? Okay, all right. Now, I'm not going to shine it in your eyes. And, and I'm looking around, and now I can see the light. And the reason, go ahead and turn the lights back on. Because flashlights or light works best in the darkness. And I'm going to tell you right now that the reason why most people's flashlights don't work is that they are in the darkness, but there is something missing in their flashlight. And you probably guessed it. This, this flashlight takes AA batteries, two of them to be exact. This flashlight will not work without this power source. Today, I want us to talk about this power source. Because if we're going to be the light of the world, then God has to do something in here. Because I just told you that we are all like this, and God has to change that, and there has to be a power source. If there's no power source, then there is no light. And now I'm making that light an analogy. It is the life of God in you. The life of God in you. Now, when I was a kid, I basically discovered as I took it all apart. How many of you, when you were kids, maybe you're as adults today, you, you love to take things apart? I know you do, Peter. You love to take things apart. Okay, yes. And didn't you looked at it really well, right? Now, and the problem was when you pulled apart something very complicated and you couldn't quite put it back together again, you got in a peck of trouble now, didn't you? Anyway, flashlights are pretty simple. There's a power source. There is generally, to simplify it, as these two power sources are put together properly, from the positive end to the negative end, there is wires. There is also a switch. So you've got the powers, you've got the, the power source, you've got the wires, you've got the switch. And the switch connects those wires, and then the power goes to the light bulb, so there's basically four, I mean, there's more, but there's basically four aspects to this flashlight. I want us to kind of pick apart us as humans this morning and see where does our power source come from? Because here's the problem. Here, here's the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So that tells me right away that in Jesus and in Jesus alone, in Jesus alone, who is God, there is life. And apart from God, apart from Jesus, guess what, church? There is no life. There is no batteries, so to speak, no power source. John 1.4 says this. This is John, the apostle, talking about Jesus, who is called the Word. Now, he says this, in him, in Jesus, was life, and this life was the light of men. Jesus, rather, in Jesus, was this power, this life. And that life was a light in the world. So guess what? If you are to be a light in this world, there must be life Jesus specifically in you that broadcasts this light. 
And guess what? Light works or flashlights work best in the darkness. And since we are trying to be the light of the world, I'm going to try and wrap it up speaking about that, making it applicable as far as then how this light can shine and impact people. Now, the Bible tells me, tells us from the very beginning that, the, that God breathed into man, into Adam, the breath of life, and he became a living soul. I want to test this. Let me see how many of you are alive today. If you're alive, I want you to raise your hand. Okay, good, good. I'm so proud. There's no dead people among us. I appreciate it. Great. There's no physically dead people. But the Bible says, not only are we physically dead, but we are spiritually dead. How did that happen? How do we become spiritually dead? See, when I was a kid, I mean, I was born and raised in a Christian home. I had been taught the gospel, but it didn't really connect with me. Here, I'm, I'm, I'm dead? What? And I just couldn't grasp that. I mean, I can raise my hand in a service. I'm alive. What are you talking about? But see, the Bible talks about this spiritual death. Genesis 3, the fall. Sin killed you. Killed every single one. Not just me. Not just your pastor. But it killed all of you. And you were all as a result like this. Not just, not only would we now physically die, but we are spiritually disconnected and no power source in us. You are spiritually disconnected from God. And God is our source of what? Life. So if we're disconnected from life, what does that make me then? It makes me dead. It makes you dead too without being connected with God. So I hope we can see right away that there's a problem here. There's a problem with everyone for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so that, as I'm saying it, we're all disconnected from that life source. Today, I want to talk about this concept of regeneration, being made alive. Because if Scripture is true, then there's a lot of people on planet Earth today who, though they are physically alive, are truly spiritually dead, and they are disconnected from God. <laughs> so what is life? Obviously the opposite of death. Being disconnected. Isaiah 4, excuse me, Isaiah 59:2 says your sins have separated you from your God. So there's that disconnect. Ephesians 4:8, excuse me, 4:18. You're there with me, right? I'm just going to kind forgive me, I'm going to just extract a verse in a context. Afterwards, you can see and read the context yourself, but it says this, Ephesians 4, 18. They, referring to the Gentiles and the futility of the way they think, in their philosophy and psychology, the way they think. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from what? The life of God. Because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardening of their heart. So what that tells me is there was a heart, there's a hardening in our heart so that every single one of us naturally rejects the truth. Paul calls that ignorance. And because we reject the truth, 
and we're rejecting, therefore, Jesus, who's the truth, we have, we have no life of God in us. No life of God in us. Sin separates us from God. Sin produces spiritual death in us. And it also produces a brokenness. Because sin is like an infection. And when you get sick, how many of you were sick this past week or the week before? Raise your hand. Yeah, look, look around. There's a lot of sickies here. I'm so glad that you're feeling better. But when you're sick, I, I, didn't you feel broken? Didn't you feel like, man, I just have no energy. I feel terrible. Without the life of God, that is you and me. We are broken. And not just us, but our entire world is broken due to the, go all the way back to Genesis 3, the fall. And sin has wreaked havoc in all of God's creation. But I want to tell you this. That our God has a purpose in that brokenness because he had a plan that I want to talk to you about in which Jesus came to this earth. He who was life, and that life was the light of men, he came to give you life in his name. Now, in this broken world that one day will be completely restored. You know what? God could have, by the way, God could have just given up. And he could have said, whatever. Satan, at that point, would have won. Now, Christian, don't get me wrong. You look around the world, it feels as if Satan is winning. And I'm going to just tell you right now, he has not. He is far from winning. God is in this process of breathing life into people, and we're going to talk more about that in a moment, to rescue them, to, to allow those who are dead to now come alive. God could have just abandoned man and said, fine, whatever. He could have just ended it with the flood. He, couldn't, he could have just said to Noah, I'm not even going to tell you about this. I'm just going to wipe everybody out. He could have done that, and he would have been just. But by his grace, he had a plan Granted, several thousand years later in his son Jesus, but God was never going to allow the enemy, Satan, to win because God is in this business of renewal. God wants to take what is broken and dead and breathe life into it. Your situation that is broken in a relationship or sickness, whatever it is, constantly... God has not abandoned you. Sin has wreaked havoc and brokenness in this world. But God has a plan. And if he doesn't heal you in this life, he promises that he will do it in the next. And all things will be restored, he says. So God will eventually win. And he will not yield to the enemy's plans of destroying God's good creation. God will renew and he will win. So I want us to look at this because... So modern psychology today, and I majored in psychology, not that I'm now an expert at it by any means, but modern psychology, I do know this, says that the real problem isn't sin. The real problem is how you deal with the sin, guilt. See, guilt is the real issue. So when they're counseling you, they help you deal with guilt and the fallout from sin. All other religions, apart from Christianity, turns to man 
and tries to lift man up, just do this. Just do this. All other religions, regardless of who they are, do you want to have life or whatever they might call it? Then you need to do this, this, and this. And every religion, study world religions, they all have it. There's only one exception, and that is Christianity. That is why Christianity offers the good news. Because I'm going to tell you what, I before I was 14 and I had an event with God that changed me, that I'm going to, that's what basically the subject of this message, God bringing life, I didn't feel dead, but I was. And I fumbled trying to change Mike Curtis. I was like the psychologist or the every other religion. Well, if you just did this, then you'll be happy. God has a different plan. He said to broken Mike Curtis, I need to do something in you. I need to change you. And so <laughs> it, was, it was like one day when I was vacuuming in my house. And as I'm vacuuming, and I, I'm using an old Electrolux, okay, <clears throat> it was actually made after they invented electricity, just if you were wondering. I inherited it, or my wife did, we inherited it. And it had a few problems, seeing that it was like ancient. And, um, but you know, where the cord went into the vacuum cleaner, it had been repaired. There was a problem with the off and on switch. A couple of other, I, I, I was a dad of four girls and a wife, all of which, if you're wondering, are female with long hair. You can only imagine what that did to my Electrolux vacuum cleaner. The poor, weak thing trying to do everything it could to suck it all up. All that hair would get wrapped around the barrel. So here's one day, I'm, I'm vacuuming, and I go around a curve into the hallway, and all of a sudden, the vacuum cleaner dies on me. And I thought, oh, no. And I'm looking at the vacuum cleaner, and, and the first thing I do is, I, I wonder if the barrel, if, if it's all clogged up. So I have to undo it. You know, it's not simple to do that. And I'm cleaning out all the hair that's wrapped around this. You know, it's probably about this big with all the hair wrapped around it, right? And I'm removing all the hair, and I'm going to throw it away. It still didn't work. Ah, I'll check the on-off switch. So I'm playing with the on-off switch. I'm kind of pulling it apart. All the wires are connected. I look at the cord as far as how it's plugged into or attached <laughs> excuse me, to the vacuum cleaner. And the repair job is still good. And I don't know what to do. I grab that bundle of hair, kind of tucking it under my arms. And I'm walking it now, walking it into the kitchen to throw it away. And I looked around the corner and I saw the outlet that my plug used to be plugged into. And I realized I spent 30 minutes trying to fix this thing, and the real problem was that it wasn't plugged in. Now, I hope that you're seeing the analogy and how it plays out today. Psych modern psychology and all other religions, trust me, all other religions apart from Christianity, try to fix the vacuum cleaner. And I'm going to tell you what, that the real problem is that it is not connected to the power source. All right? Now, I'm emphasizing this deadness and this separation from that which is life in God because that's the problem, but there is a solution, there is a remedy to this problem. That's what I want to share with you. Ephesians chapter 2, turn there with me, verses 1 through 6. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. 
All right. Are you there with me? In chapter 1, at the very end, he talks about Jesus Christ and by, and excuse me, that God raised Jesus from the dead, seated him with him, far above, gave him authority, far above all rule and power, every authority, every title that can be given in this present age and in the age to come. And all glory is now given to Jesus Christ in what he has accomplished by his death. And now Paul's focus is the resurrection. And verse 1 says, as for you. We're just looking at the resurrection of Jesus and life and power, but as for you... He says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Mike Curtis used to live dead in his transgressions and sins. When you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time. There's no exception to this church. All of us, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature, and this is not a popular message today, we were by nature objects of his, God's wrath. We deserved that punishment. Our sin separated us and that Sin needed to be punished. God can't just wave some spiritual magical wand and say, oh, I'm just, just going to scatter your sins. I'm just going to forgive them. Something had to pay for those sins. That is the very nature of who God is. He is holy. And those sins must be punished. There's no exception. There's no like clause in the bylaws, except every sin must be punished. That's why Jesus had to come. Let me continue on here. All of us also lived, uh, excuse me, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. God's wrath. Listen to this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I'm going to read verse 7. In order that the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now, there are three verbs that we're going to look at here in just a moment that are key. But I want you to know, first, sin has killed us. We've already learned this. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The remedy. Sin has killed every single one of us. (laughs) Separated us. Disconnected us from God. And therefore, every bit of life that we could have. That's what sin has done. Separate us. We are dead. Spiritually dead. Physically alive and we can wave our hands. But spiritually dead apart from Christ. The second thing is that sin has become our grave. See, it's not just just that sin killed us, but sin is now our grave. You are dead in your transgressions and sins. Where were you in this spiritual death? Where were you? In? In sin. In your transgressions. 
So sin has become our grave. And then lastly, sin reigns over us. And and I'm not going to quote all of Romans 6, but read it someday. Romans 6 is very clear. We are controlled. We are mastered by sin. It is our taskmaster. We are slaves to sin. We are sin addicts because of sin in us. And there's no exception to this. Because of Adam's sin and how that has affected all of us, we all share in that. We all sin. We all are sinners. Not a pleasant topic to talk about. And now including the very fact that God's wrath is poured out upon us because of sin. Sin has killed us. It is our grave and sin reigns over us. 1 John 5.12. I want to read this to you. 1 John 5.12. When I was a young man, this is one of the first passages that I memorized. This is the testimony. Listen to this, church. God has given us eternal life. I want to pause there. Eternal life is not just heaven. Eternal life is that life of God that comes in us to make us alive. That is God's life. That happens when we are connected with that life or power source. We have life instead of death. So this is the testimony. It says that God has given us eternal life. Life as opposed to spiritual death. And this life is in his son. He has, excuse me, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. Here is my question. Then how can you come alive instead of be spiritually dead? Sin has killed you, it's our grave, and it reigns over you. The remedy is life. How do we come alive? Jesus must be in you. Life that is in God must come in you in order to make you alive. Now, I don't want to make this sound like uh, this is like super deep. It's, it's not. It's not as if God is outside and he regenerates you. He, gen- he doesn't regenerate you from the outside. The Son comes in us in the person of the Spirit of life. Romans 8.2. The Spirit of life is in us. When life comes in us, we are now alive. We must be made alive in this way. The batteries, if you will, must be placed into the flashlight. I want us to look at something, though. This idea of sin has killed us, sin is our grave, sin reigns over us. Paul gives us three verbs here in verses, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to turn back, um, five and six. Ephesians four, five and six. Go ahead and turn back there. Ephesians, Ephesians two, I'll get this right, Ephesians two, Five and six. There are three verbs. Number one, he makes us alive with Christ. Number two, he raised us up with Christ. Number three, he seated us with Christ. 
do you see some commonality here? All of this takes place with Christ, specifically Christ in us. He raised us up. Now, I realize that there are some who would say God has to, when we're dead in our sins, we are unable to believe, and therefore we must be regenerated to believe. Can I just say that I'm sorry, but Scripture is clear that that is actually reversed. We believe, and then we come alive. Now, I want you to turn with me then to Colossians chapter 2. Interesting thing about Ephesians and Colossians. <clears throat> they were written about the same time when Paul is in house arrest in Rome around 60 to 62 AD. He sends uh, probably Tychicus, who then is the carrier, and he takes it to Ephesus, and it becomes a what they call a circular letter, and so it's being circulated around Asia, the province of Asia, not Asia the, in the Far East, province of Asia, which is present-day Turkey. And then another letter goes to Philemon, and Colossae. Philemon lives in Colossae, but if you want to know what Philemon's about, read it. It's only one chapter, not long, but then Colossae, it, it was given to that um, just a little bit further west. So there's a lot of similarities between Ephesians and Colossians, and you're going to see that here. But in, a, in Colossians chapter 2, it says right here in verse 13, when you were dead in your sins. And in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, which is the NIV's way of saying the flesh, not the physical flesh here, but the flesh in us, the desirings and the cravings that our body has that are not controlled by God and what we call sin. So you're dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature or flesh, God made you alive with Christ. God, do you see the parallel? God made us alive with Christ. Now, I want you to see something here, and this is absolutely key. Absolutely key. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed took to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Let me bring some clarity as far as what this means. We just read, it seems, three verbs. Made alive, sins forgiven, the law or the written code is canceled. But there's actually only one verb here in the Greek. There's only one verb, made alive. The other two are what they call participles. Now, I don't want to lose you right here. Let me tell you about the power of a Greek participle. I'm, I'm getting a little bit into grammar, but when you get this, it's like, wow, of course, yeah. That's what, this is how it happens. And, and, and I'm, so we're going to kind of pick the flashlight apart and understand how it works right now. If you were to go to the Great Commission in Matthew 20, 28, it says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And when you look at that, you're thinking, well, there are four verbs, when actually, and maybe some of you already know this, there's really only one verb, make disciples. There are three participles going, baptizing, and teaching. Now, here's the power of a participle. Don't let me lose you. The power of those three participles describe how you make disciples. They, I'll use Greek terminology, they modify the main verb. You didn't get that. That's fine. The truth is then they describe the main verb, okay? 
How do you make disciples? By going, by baptizing, assuming that they believe, and by teaching them everything that I've commanded you. So making disciples isn't just evangelism, it's helping them grow up in the faith. That is making disciples. That's how you do it. You got to go, you got to baptize, you got to teach them everything Jesus commanded. Here we have something very similar. We have a main verb, made alive, but it's modified by two participles that tell us how does God make you alive? How does he make you, how does he regenerate you? Here's another synonym, born again, born anew, born of God or born of the spirit. All of these things are the same thing, God making us alive. I don't don't know of any theologian who would disagree with what I just said right there. All of these are synonyms. But how then are we regenerated? How do we come to life? The first one is you have to have your sins forgiven. And so the participle is translated, having had your, all sins forgiven, the second one is, and having the written code that was against you wiped away, canceled. Church, if you're dead in your sin, excuse me, if sin has killed you, there is only one way for you to come to life. Something has to happen to that sin. If I'm in a sword duel, and I get a sword run through me, and I'm just supposing now, and they rush me to the hospital, I actually make it there, but I die on the operating table, and this sword is sticking up out of me, they're not going to try and bring me back to life without doing what first? you got to remove the sword, right? Let's say instead I drown. I can't hold my breath more than five minutes. Totally, actually, a whole lot less than that. But let's say after five minutes, someone pulls Mike Curtis up out of the water, and there is no breathing, and my heart has stopped. What's the very first thing that you're going to do? You have to get the water out of the lungs. Then you can do the hard thing. Then you can breathe, and, and hopefully, you know they're they're going to help cough this up and everything. But you got to deal with the water in the lungs. If the water stays in the lungs. You're not going to breathe and you will not come back to life. So if you're dead spiritually, something has to happen to your sin. That's why when the spirit of life comes in you, in order for you to be born again, in order for you to be regenerated and birthed by God, he has to deal with that sin and he forgives it. And he's able to forgive it because Jesus has already paid for it on the cross. So he did that 2,000 years ago. And then present day, well, present, a few years ago, when I was 14, I won't tell you how many years that is, but it was a few years ago, Mike Curtis came to life because the Spirit of God came in me and dealt with my sin. And he washed it away, forgave it, gone. He was able to do that because Jesus paid for that sin. So Mike Curtis is spiritually dead. Jesus paid for my sins. And by believing, I now can have my sins forgiven. Not only are my sins forgiven, so that which killed me has now been taken care of, but there's a flip side to my sin issue. And that is that the law of God has condemned me. The soul that sins, it shall die physically and spiritually. So God had to deal with the sin. He had to deal with the law 
that testified me as a sinner and guilty and condemned to death. And now, therefore, no more sin, no more condemnation. That's how I am. That's how I come to life. The Spirit of God comes in me, deals with my sin, deals with the law that condemns me, and now I come to life. In essence, God puts the batteries back in. The second thing is that I am raised up with Christ. See, I, my sin is my grave, and by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I am now raised up with Christ. Look at the verse just before that. We just read verses 13 and 14. Look at verse 12 now. I'm going to read it to you. Verse 12 says this, having been buried with him, that is Christ Jesus, in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, in his great mercy, he, referring to God, has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So by the power of Jesus' resurrection, we are raised up from spiritual death to spiritual life. Do you want to have life in your soul? Do you want to become alive instead of dead by your sin, in your sin, so that sin doesn't reign over you? There's only one remedy, that is by grace, through faith. And we are then made alive, and being made alive, the written code is canceled, the sins are gone, and you now come to life. And you are now a flashlight, a light in this dark world. And I'm going to come to that in just a moment. That's so crucial here. So powerful once we understand this, why we are witnesses in this day and in this darkness. The third thing that he, this happens, of course, then by faith. We are then raised from the dead. Three, it says that we are seated with Christ. Now, chapter one, I didn't read it to you. I just told you about it. Chapter 1 talks about how Christ was seated at the right hand of the Father, far above every power and authority and title that can be given. He even says, remember that we went through the seven letters of Revelation to the seven churches, and in the last one, the, the church, uh, to the church of Laodicea, at the very end, he says this, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Church, what does it mean to be seated with Christ? Is that just simply means that, wow, we're like way up there and the world is way down here? No, that's not the implication. The implication is that we reign with Christ, at least in part in this earth, and then fully, but we reign on this earth. Romans 5, I got to get the verse right here. Verse, verse 11 says that by God's grace, we reign in life. Church, sin does not reign over you anymore. It has been forgiven. And not only forgiven, not only is the written code that condemns us wiped away so that we are no longer condemned, but now you have life in you and you have power and authority, those two things, to reign with Christ. That's what it means to be seated with him. Sin does not have to be your master any longer. That is beautiful. You have now been given power and authority by Jesus himself to reign over sin. 
Can I confess? I'll be the first one to confess here. That is so hard. Because we walk in faith every day to see that walked out practically every day. I have to be surrendered to Him every day. And He gives me the power and the promise to be, to be able to reign so that sin does not reign over me. Sin does not have to reign over you. Church, listen, sin does not have to reign over you. You do not have to be a slave to sin anymore. The chains are broken. We need to just stop walking back into the prison cell. They're not binding you anymore. You've been set free, Scripture says, because we reign with Christ. We're seated with Him. Now, I want you to imagine darkness all around you. You're in the basement of my old home. God bless you. It's all dark, and your flashlight is not working. I am encouraging you then, take those batteries, because that's probably the problem. The batteries are dead. Or you just don't have any batteries. And when the batteries are in, how bright your light shines in the darkness. I want you to imagine that the world is in darkness. And in you is life put there by God himself in the person of Jesus by his spirit. In you, life. And that life is light. This is a very crude analogy, and I don't mean it to belittle anyone, okay? But when I turn my front porch light on, if I don't use a yellow light, it attracts so many bugs. Bugs are attracted to the light. And I'm just going to tell you this. There is something in man that yearns for healing. He just doesn't know where to find it. There is something in man that wants life. He just he keeps trying to fix himself rather than being reconnected with God. And he's hoping maybe, like this little hamster on his treadmill over and over and over, maybe if I do enough, God's going to smile upon me and say, yes, let me help you. But salvation that we're talking about, this new life, isn't by doing more, church. It is only by grace through faith. Then the Spirit of God comes in you and gives you life. That is the only way this happens. Modern psychology has missed it. All other religions have missed it. I am spiritually dead and disconnected, and there is only one way for me to find life, and that is in Jesus Christ, the Creator of all, only in Him, only by grace through faith. That surrendering of my heart to him, believing in Jesus, not just about Jesus, in Jesus. I want you to imagine that in this world, it is so cold. I was talking with my friend back here, Keith, who was from Wisconsin. And he was talking about how cold it gets up there. And he came down to Florida to get a little bit more warmth. And that's the truth for everyone in this world. There is something we hate cold and we want warmth. Okay? Amen. My analogy then is this. 
That life of God in you is that warmth. There is something in you that is attractive to the world. In the book of Acts and throughout the book of Acts, you repeatedly see the Christians living in such a way that those other Jews who even crucified their Lord Jesus Christ became curious. They wanted to know, what is it about you guys that is so different? I mean, these were fellow Jews. There was only one difference, though. The Christians had chosen to believe in Jesus and be reconnected with God himself. The other Jews, and Paul makes this clear in Romans 11, that they were still trying to find their way back to God by following the law. And even we can sometimes get... Paul himself in in Galatians 3.2, it says this, Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? It's a rhetorical question, of course, by believing. Not by doing, but by believing. That is why the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not by doing anything. It is by simply surrendering everything to him. Amen. In our worksheet, or worksheet in, in the sheet that I handed out last week, my wife actually put this together many years ago, and it's entitled Getting Wet. And if you don't have a copy, I want to make sure that you get one before you leave. Because uh, some of you weren't here, some of you are new, and I'd love for you to have this. I circled 10 of them only because last week I read those 10 to you. I'm not going to read them again this week. But this on this sheet, it tells you some very practical things that you can do. Now that the life of God is in you, the, some things that you can do to let that light shine. Remember John 1, 4, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. That life in you is now going to be changed, translated into this light, into the world is going to see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And it's all because of this life. It's all because that your sins have been forgiven. There's no condemnation for you. You are now alive in Christ. You've been raised up by the very power of Jesus' resurrection that lives in you by His Spirit, the Spirit of life. It's in you. The world is attracted to this. Granted, John 3 says, the light shines and they don't want to come into the light lest their deeds be exposed. See, there's this internal conflict. They want life, but they don't want to repent from their sin. And by God's grace, you can speak to them. God can work in their heart, and God can transform them. And I'm just going to encourage you, if you didn't get one of these, get one of these. But guys, let's do this. Let's pray over these. Maybe some ways that we can take advantage of opportunities and resources to impact our generation as the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Amen? I want to close in prayer. I'm going to just ask you today. Are you spiritually alive or are you spiritually dead? It's not based on how you feel today. You might feel spiritually disconnected. But the truth is, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are not. Feelings do not determine truth. The truth is you're alive. 
We can feel alone. We can feel abandoned. But that doesn't mean we are alone or abandoned. So let's just let's set aside our feelings for right now. We're going to look at truth. Are you alive or are you dead? Are you connected to God and to the life that is in God? Or are you disconnected? I've shared truth with you this morning. I hope it's challenged you and for some of us encouraged you that this life that's in you is attractive to the world. They want to see it and they want to experience it. They just don't know how. Show them with words and with actions. We show them. But if you're disconnected from all of that, I want to give you an opportunity today to trust in Jesus Christ. By faith, that resurrection power in Jesus that raised him from the dead can come and bring life to you today. So, Father, we just ask God if we are disconnected from you, God, from that life source, speak truth to our heart right now, God. Spirit of God, bring such conviction of truth and of sin to our hearts. And I just ask you, Lord, that if we're outside of Christ, if we are still dead in our transgressions and sins, let a cry rise up within our heart. Oh God, Jesus, come and rescue me. Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God, save, rescue, bring life, Lord God. Wash away sin. Cancel the law that condemns us and bring life to our wearied soul, Lord God, our dead soul, our sin-sick soul. And God, I ask today, let us come alive in Christ. And Lord, I ask that that life that the light of men, let us shine it, Lord God. Father, don't let us hide it under a bushel. Let us shine it that people would see Jesus and his life in me this week, today, God. And I'm asking you, Father, those who don't know you today, may they make that decision to know you and embrace you, God. And for the rest of us, God, help us shine that light. Help us show off Jesus, as it were, that life for all men. Stir our hearts, God. Show us, Lord. Lead us by your Spirit how we can impact this generation with that life that forever and eternally has changed things. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to encourage you that if today you made that decision to trust in Jesus Christ, can you do me the privilege of coming and telling you? I would love to be able to pray for you. Okay? And if you're online and you're watching and you made that decision to follow Jesus, I'm going to encourage you, tell somebody about it. Let them pray for you. Be baptized in water. You now have experienced new life in Christ. God bless you guys. Look forward to seeing you this Wednesday. Remember, loving kindness or brotherly love. That's what we're going to be looking at, brotherly love. Amen. Love you all.